we get to Hebrews chapter 12 tonight, I'm going to read verses 18 through 29, uh, and then we're going to jump in and just dissect it and enjoy it and squeeze every bit of juice out of it. So Father, tonight we thank you for the word. I thank you for Wednesday. I thank you for these people that are here because they love you and they're hungry to hear what's on your heart for them, and they want to worship you, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. I know there's a lot of things that people could be doing on Wednesday night, but Lord, they're here. So bless them and, and, and give them the desires of their heart, Lord, as you open up the word to us. Holy Spirit, help us to get what we need individually from the Father tonight. Father, I know you're going to tuck things into each of our hearts that are a little bit different, Lord, and I just pray that each one would get a deposit from the Father's heart tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Well, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that, there would, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot through with an arrow." And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. There's a depiction of what happened at Mount Sinai. We're going to look at where the covenant was given to the, the, the Mosaic covenant was given. Those verses describe what happened at Mount Sinai. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, different situation, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who is registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Verse 25, see that you have not refused him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, and now he is promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." powerful, powerful text there. Most scholars agree that Paul wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of Pauline phrases in there, His, uh, the way he puts things together, the way he reasons. Uh, here, these verses here are contrasting the old and the new covenants. Remember, I said the, the, the main theme of Hebrews way back when we started was that, you know, it's contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant and it's showing the superiority of Christ in all things, amen? You know what? You and I need Jesus plus nothing. Oh, no, I need Jesus plus fun. I need Jesus plus material things. I need Jesus plus a good job. I need Jesus plus, plus you know, retirement. No, we need Jesus plus nothing. And Hebrews 
from start to finish is proving to a, a primarily Jewish audience. You realize the early church was predominantly Jewish converts, but yet they were clinging on to the old traditions. They, they had an affinity for the things of Judaism and they were always tempted to go back. So here, this text is proving over and over again, Jesus is superior, the covenant is superior. There's nothing to go back to. There's everything to go forward to. So, you know, we look here in verse 18 and there's a description, verse 18 through 21 are given a description of when they got the law covenant from Moses. And it was, uh, if you remember that, it was a scary time on the mountain there, amen? God was showing his holiness to people. So let's take a look at this. These verses are encouraging the believers, the Jewish converts, not to go back to the old ways, but to fully embrace the new covenant. You know, we all have a tendency to go backwards. Anybody? When things get hard, we want to go back. We want to run back to what's known, to what's comfortable, the default settings of our life. And, the, and it's really dangerous for the believer. Why? Because if we go back from what we've experienced in Christ, we only have the world to go back to. And that's foolishness to go back to that. Yeah, when things get hard, all of us want to slip it in reverse and, and go backwards a little bit. We run to the known. We run to the comfortable. But that's the old nature. That's the old man, the old patterns. And they draw us back into the world. And that's a spiritual death sentence for the Christian. Listen to me, dear saints. We do not want to go backwards. We want to take reverse right out of your gear shift. Amen. We should be going full steam ahead towards Jesus into the things of God. There's no looking back. There's no going back. Backwards is not a good thing. Yet backwards, there's a lot of nostalgia back there. Have you ever seen something maybe from your high school or from, you know, back when you were a kid and it just stirs up so much nostalgia in you? It's powerful. I mean, you know, these things, and the, why? Because they're familiar to us and they, they have a, a great draw. And, you know, even if things weren't good, do you notice that people never remember the bad stuff or they remember the few good things and then they romanticize it like, oh, it was so great, the good old days. The good old days weren't really that good. You know, when you were in high school, and I know you're, parts of your body worked and stuff, but pimples and dating and all that stuff. Come on, the good old days are now. All right, let me try that again. There's only four people. The good old days are now. Yeah. What God is doing now, amen? He's a now God. He's not the great I was. He's not the great has been. He's the great I am. So we have this tendency to go backwards here. And, you know, even the, the, the Hebrews, when they were delivered from Egypt, from slavery, they got to a place in the wilderness where they, they said, we want to go back to Egypt. You remember that? Numbers 11, four through six, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us meat to eat? So they're eating manna and they're tired of it, you know, and they, they want meat to eat. And it says, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt, the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Oh, you got me at garlic there. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Do you believe slaves yearn for the land of their bondage because the menu had gotten boring? Come on. You know, and it's always the belly. It's always the flesh. <laughs> and they, 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 they romanticized their bondage and they said, let's go back, let's go back. You brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, Moses. Wow, 
That tendency to want to go back is in all of us. These verses compare and contrast the old and the new covenants. Mount Sinai, verses 18 through 21, was a description of that event. And remember, God uh, got all the people to sanctify themselves. He brought them to the edge of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was a bit scary. It says, what you've come to the mountain that may be touched. So it's a physical mountain. It's not a spiritual uh, situation in the sense they come to a, a physical place that burned with fire and to blackness and the darkest and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Let's just take a look at that. Sinai was a, a very traumatic experience for the children of God. There's rumbling, there's grumbling, there's noises, there's lightning, there's all these things. And, you know, the, the people were scared. There was a fearsome demonstration of the presence of a holy God. You know, sometimes we get so comfortable in this grace covenant that we're in that we forget that our God is an awesome God. Our God is a consuming fire, and it's a fearful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of an angry God. Do we still fear him? Do we still reverence him? Do we still approach him with a sense of awe? Nobody at Mount Sinai was cocky that day. They were all shaking in their boots, and God was showing them who he was. Verse 19 shows it's a sobering experience for them. It's traumatic. They had no desire to come closer to the Lord. You know, nobody wanted to listen to Moses, but now that God was manifesting himself, they were like, okay, Moses, you go, right? Think about that. And God always wanted to have intimacy with his people. God wants to have intimacy with you. Don't put your arms out and push God away. He wants to be heartbeat close to you. John laid on his breast. John laid on his chest. He wants that intimate relationship. But the people here at Sinai, man, the mountain's going off and it's exploding. They're like, oh, we're close enough. You go, Moses. Everybody looked like Moses for a few minutes that day. So they push him towards and he comes up, you know, and, and, and even Moses is trembling in his boots here. What is God doing? He's making the point to a stubborn, stiff-necked, immoral people that he is an awesome God. Come on, Wednesday night, stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious. Does that sound like any generation that you know? Come on. Now, you know, not us tonight because we're, you know, we're in church on Wednesday night, so we're God's special little people. But, you know, the ones who didn't come, you know, the stiff-necked and the stubborn and just playing with you a little bit. But he's making a point to them. Why? Because, you know, they had not reverenced him. And so he wants to make the point to them that he's holy, that the law that he's about to give them uh, is not riddled with grace, but it's legalistic in the sense that they have to keep it. Keep the law and live. Break the law and die. The law covenant was a very impossible covenant to keep. And in fact, now the only purpose of the law, the commandments, the Ten Commandments and the legalistic things of the law is to prove to us that we're sinners and we need a Savior. That's the only function of the law today. If you're in Christ, the commandments only prove to us that we can't keep them and we need grace, amen? If you're not in Christ, then you're in the law and you're under the wrath of God and that's to break you down, to make you say, you know what, I can't do this, I need help. And Jesus is right there to say, you need a savior and I'm the guy. 
So here's the law being given to them and the mountains rumbling and burning and shaking. They're all scared. God's making the point, I'm holy, I'm awesome. You need to fear me. You need to reverence me. You need to listen to what I'm saying to you because if you don't keep these commandments here, you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna live. So God didn't want this kind of relationship with his people, but the people had forced his hand. You know, God can be very gracious to us or he can discipline and chasten us pretty aggressively. It's quiet now. The call is ours. Rick, are you gonna listen? Are you gonna be stubborn? Are you gonna be stiff-necked? Are you gonna give him partial obedience? Are you gonna do most of what he says and, 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 and then hold back and say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not giving you this area. This is still mine, God. Well, then God has to turn up the heat and he has to rumble and he has to make me tremble until I realize, you know what? I need to give up 110% of me to Jesus. So the Old Testament and the Old Covenant is a very interesting thing. Now, you see the people are scared. They're getting the law covenant there. It's a pretty traumatic day. Now, here we are in the New Testament, and they want to keep that covenant. And this is, this is Paul's point. This is Hebrews' point. Why would you want to hold on to a covenant like that? It's, it's impossible to keep. It's legalistic. It's demanding. It, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not grace. It's legalism. And yet these Jews who are converted and have come to Christ, they're saying, well, well we want to hang on to some of our legalism because we like it. Mm. That covenant is a covenant that should be let go of because there's a new and better covenant, amen? Verse 20 shows that the legal demand of the Mosaic covenant was impossible to satisfy. It was rigid and it was brutal. Look what it says here in verse 20. If a beast approached, there was a perimeter where the people were not allowed to go past. Why? Because they couldn't get close to the presence of God or they'd be consumed. There was a line there and they said if a beast would pass it, an animal, let alone a man, woman, or child, if, if, the, if an animal inadvertently went past the boundary and got close to God, it had to be stoned or shot through with an arrow. See, we're so immersed in grace that when we talk about the law, we don't even get it. In fact, most of us get angry at God because things don't always go our way, but we don't realize in the Old Testament, man, if you stepped out of line one time, you got hammered. And, you know, this whole idea of grace is non-existent there. Animal passes the boundary. You know, you got to stone it or shoot it. In 2 Samuel, there's an example of the brutality of the law. In 2 Samuel 6, verses 5 and 7, uh, David is bringing the ark up. He wants to bring it to him. Uh, It's on a cart. And the priests are bringing it and the, and the ox is shaking and the ark is moving and check out what happens here. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on the kinds of instrument of fur and wood and harps and stringed instruments and electric guitars through martial amps. It says it in my Bible. And tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. And they came to Nashon's threshing floor Uzziah, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and God took hold of it for the ox stumbled. So here the priest is there, the, the, the ox stumbles and the ark is gonna fall. Verse seven, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error. And that word means irreverence. And he died there before the ark of God. Wow. See, 
You know, and I know this is a hard sell. It's hard for us to get this. Man, God, that was your guy. That was your priest. Why did you do that? Because of the irreverent act of him touching the presence of God when he didn't have authority to do it. Well, what was he supposed to do? I guess we'll never know. But that's the law. And it's administered without prejudice, without, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. And that situation there, David's like, oh man, I, 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 I gotta just stop the whole procession here. I can't bring the ark to where I'm at. Let's put it in Obadidim's house. That's a whole nother story. But what I want you to see is the rigidity of the law, the rigidity of the law covenant, the brutality of it, and the demand for justice and judgment. It's not the type of covenant you wanna be under because our flesh makes it impossible to keep it. Verse 21, the people are horrified at Mount Sinai, and even Moses is scared. He said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Isn't that amazing? Even Moses, who had a face-to-face -face relationship with God, who was close to God, who heard God reveal himself and say, I am, and all these things, Moses was a little bit unhinged that day. Why? Because God was demonstrating his awesomeness, and it was a fearful thing. Now, we should never forget three things. As we're talking about the old covenant, we're gonna transition into the new and everybody's gonna be able to breathe again because I could feel the oxygen being sucked out of the room here. But we should never forget three things. If Moses was scared that day, if they were terrified that day, we, we should remember, number one, our God is a holy God. Saints, don't play games with God. He's a holy God. Number two, we are to reverence him. We are to fear the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not coming before him groveling with a sense of terror. It's awe, it's reverence that we would, we would not dare disrespect him or dishonor him or you know, refuse to submit and humble ourselves that we would reverence the Lord. We would fear the Lord. Let's remember that. Some of us play too loose and fast with grace. Some... Parts of the church play really loose and fast with grace. And you know what? On the other side of the coin is our God is a holy God and there's justice and judgment and the wages of sin are death. For that person playing with sexual immorality and perversion and adultery and pornography and all that, the wages of sin are death. Don't mess with a holy God. Oh, but he's my daddy God. He's my Abba father. He's my big pal, my buddy. He's the big G. He's my friend. Yeah, but he's also a holy God. So let's reverence him. Let's make sure we remember he's holy. And number three, the new covenant allows us to approach him without terror because of grace. Let us never stop being thankful for grace. It was grace that tore the veil in two. It was grace that allowed us to approach him. It's grace that allows us to have intimacy with him. I better move on. It doesn't look like anyone's surviving tonight. Verse 22 through 24 gives us the other side of the proverbial coin here. We talked about the law covenant, and it's a little bit scary. And, and uh, the longer I go on about it, the more we begin to look like those people at the mountain that day. You know, we're just kind of shell-shocked. 
But the other side of the coin is contrasting, you know, this old covenant that was given at Sinai. Now there's a new covenant established at, at Zion. And, uh, you know, this is a spiritual covenant. His laws are in our hearts. It's, it's a personal thing. Uh, let me read 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So, you know, we're not so much talking about a literal Mount Zion event here in the fact that we're talking about a spiritual uh, heavenly realm, the new Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that. To an innumerable company of angels. So, Uh, Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who is registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the sprinkling, to to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So there's a lot in there. Let's just take a look at it. It's the contrast to the law covenant. It's the contrast to the terror of Mount Sinai. Now, here we're getting this grace covenant here. It's one that's not revealed to us on rock and dirt and chiseled into tablets of stone. It's a covenant that is in our hearts, amen? We now who come to Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory, amen? It's no longer a tabernacle that we visit. We are the tabernacle. He's enshrined in us. Come on, are there any Christians here tonight, amen? You're listening, that's all I got. That was the punchline right there. Jesus is in you. He's not, he's not a visitation, he's a habitation, amen? So, you know, and we take this for granted. They couldn't even get close. They couldn't go to the border. We come right through the veil into the Holy of Holies and have communion with him. What a blessing it is. I don't think I could have survived long in the Old Testament. I'd be one of those dead guys, you know, God would have to hit me with a bolt or something. But grace is just a beautiful thing. And, you know, we look at what's revealed to us in in Zion, and it's a covenant in our hearts. Um, Verse verse 23 tells us that, you know, the the saints are going to wind up in the New Jerusalem during the church age here. The general assembly of the church, it says, the firstborn who are registered in heaven, God the judge of all. So, you know, kind of telling us our destination. You and I who are born again, who our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life, when it's all over and the, and the seven-year tribulation is over and God takes care of all those loose ends and ties them up and judges Satan for eternity and he's in the abyss. Listen, you and I are gonna be with Jesus in heaven in the new Jerusalem for eternity. I know that's hard to wrap your head around because some days it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Some days, you know, I'm like, Randy, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it to the outer courts or I don't know where God's gonna stick me. But, you know, you ever feel like that? Like, man, I just, yeah, coming unglued, coming unraveled. But you know what? Because of what he's done and because Jesus said it is finished on the cross and because he's marked us and written our names down in the Lamb's Book of Life, our eternity is secure whether we feel like it sometimes or not. His faithfulness, his keeping power, his ability to keep us, it's just, it's a solid thing. So uh, those who are born again are gonna be in the new Jerusalem. Now I'm gonna take the time to read you two excerpts from the book of Revelation. I know we've studied through every verse of the book of Revelation a couple times, but we forget a lot of times what's in there because there's a lot in there. So Revelation 21 gives a, a description of after everything's done and over and, and God, you know, 
pulls the curtain down on the earth and the wickedness of the enemy, the, the newness of everything. He recreates everything. Listen to Revelation 21, one through five. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Say new. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, then I John, saw this, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. They shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow. That's where we're headed, amen? Revelation 21, 22 through 27. Uh, we jump down, it says, and I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. The glory of God illuminates it. The lamb is the light. Jesus is the light in the new Jerusalem where we're headed. What an amazing thing. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. There shall be by there, but there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's a snapshot from the book of Revelation where we're headed. This is what Hebrews is trying to get us to focus on. This is new covenant stuff. This is our destination here. Jesus is going to be there. Why? Because he's the firstborn from the dead. And he's going to be the light of the place. There's going to be no need for a moon or sun, and there's going to be no night. Ladies, I don't know if you were listening close, but there's going to be no more sea, no more beach days. That made me a little sad. But you know what? Jesus is there. Man, oh, you look so excited out there. Verse 24, Jesus is the one who brokered the new and better covenant. It says Jesus is what? The mediator of the new covenant. So he brokers it. How do you get into the new covenant? How do you, how do you get to the place where you can enjoy all these things? You, you gotta go through Jesus. There's, Jesus is the only way. We know that, amen? The world still bucks against that. Oh no, there's gotta be, all, all roads lead to God. Some religious systems are teaching all roads lead to God. No, they don't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's it. There's only one name under heaven where we can be saved, and it's Jesus. So the second half of verse 24 is interesting because it brings up the blood of Jesus and Adam's son, Abel, who killed his brother, Cain. You know, this almost seems like, what is this doing here? But it says, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So uh, here's what's going on here. You know, the covenant, the new covenant is a blood covenant. And blood covenants, you say, well, where's the blood? Not from an animal, but from Jesus this time. Blood covenants always speak, always deal with sin. When the, when the Israelites had to make sin offerings, they had to sacrifice animals. Why? Hebrews tells us because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. 
So the new covenant is a blood covenant, and the blood that was shed was not the blood of an animal, which only provides a temporary covering for sin, but it was the blood of the Lamb of God, which has broken the back of sin and destroyed its power so that sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. It's a blood covenant. So the sprinkling, and to the blood of sprinkling, what is he talking about? It's the blood of Jesus. He is the lamb that has brokered the new covenant with his own blood and broken the power of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Now, the reference to Cain here, it says it speaks of better things than that of Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. Abel suffered the injustice of being murdered at the hands of of man. And, you know, without... You know, our sin brings death, and that's what I want you to see here. Abel was killed, he was, his life was stolen from him, so what? Where there was death and man's you know, capacity to kill and murder and all this stuff, now God says, you know, death has passed away, why? Because life has come through Jesus Christ. So it speaks of a better, you know, a better result. None of us wanna wind up like Abel, amen? But this world will do that to you, amen? It'll rob you and wear you out and steal your soul, won't it? But the new covenant allows us to not experience that. Now, without Jesus, you're going to experience that. But because of the sprinkling of the blood and the new covenant and the fact that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, now we don't have to experience that. So the new covenant speaks of better things. Now, there again, to these Jewish converts who want to go backwards and default to their old legalism, why would you want to go back to that? See, the way this is laid out so articulately and powerfully, you'd almost have to be a fool to want to go back to legalism. Yet many Christians come to the church through grace and faith and they're excited about Jesus and they, they serve for a while and then they get a little bit, you know, they, they get a few knocks and a few bumps and they go through a hard thing and all of a sudden now they want to be legalistic again. Paul said it, you know, why do you want to start with grace and then be perfected by the law? You know, it's foolishness. Yet this is what they're struggling with here in Hebrews. They don't want to give away all their cultures and customs and, and, and laws. And no, they're very connected to it. And in some ways, we can understand why. Verse 25 is a warning to hear and obey the voice of God. It says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. So there again, comparing the old covenant and the new covenant. They didn't listen to Moses. Did you notice that? They got the law. Everybody was shaking in their boots. They reverenced God for a while. But you know what? Enough time in the desert wore them out. And, you know, that generation died off in the desert. So, you know, here's this warning what when God speaks when God tells us what to do and how to live and how to reverence him we've got to hear his voice why because those people who didn't listen in the old covenant didn't make it and those in our generation who refuse to listen to the word of God today are not going to make it those who ignored Moses instruction never made it to the promised land they suffered and you know they were constantly in, in turmoil and trouble and conflict until one by one they fell in the wilderness and never made it in. The Father's words and the commands of Jesus are far beyond what Moses brought. 
And this is, again, showing that Moses is eclipsed by Jesus. We're not being disrespectful to Moses, right? He, he's, you know, one of the patriarchs, one of the, you know, pinnacle of the faith in the sense where what, what an incredible man he was. In some ways, God said, you know, no one will have a relationship with me like Moses did, a face-to-face one, amen? You and I are gonna have to wait for that when we get to heaven, amen? So we're not, we're not discrediting Moses or we're not being disrespectful to him, but Jesus in every way surpasses him. And this is, you know, the legalism and the law and, you know, those who want to stay in that system, you know, and reject Christ and say he's not the Messiah, you know, you're, you're missing it. And we got to pray for our generation that they would see that God would remove the scales from their eyes. Now, for the Jewish believer listening to this, you know, it's a reminder that Christ is all sufficient. He, he surpasses the old and they can, they can let go of that and they can commit themselves to Christ and revere him. Their laws and their traditions and their customs, you know, while there's some things that God wants them to remember and some feasts that God wants them to, you know, continue doing, they need to let some of that go and just grab Christ with both hands, Amen. Now, for the Christian who's legalistic, same thing. You know, well, I, I rest on my works and I compare myself to others and, you know, I'm God's favorite. You gotta let go of those works. It's all, you know, grace, but it's all faith. And this is hard for a lot of people. The bottom line for us uh, is, can, is contained in the second half of verse 25. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. So we've got to hear, my sheep hear my voice, amen? Do what he says and honor the commandments of Christ and fulfill your calling to him, amen? Walk worthy in a manner of your calling. You and I cannot ignore the God of heaven and call ourselves Christians. You and I have to be fully submitted to him for his plan, amen. Uh, it's amazing. I see Christians all the time that think they can do whatever they want to do. Now, I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but as a pastor, you know, for 28 years, I have never been able to do what I want to do. Some people think, well, you can do whatever you want to do. You're the pastor. Nope, short lease. I can only do what God tells me to do. And, and the times I tried to do what I wanted to do, man, it did not go over well. I learned really quick. Oh, pastor, why don't you do this? Well, let me talk to the boss. And I'm not talking about Kim. Let me talk to the boss, right? The closer we are to him, the more, you know, the more up the food chain we are in our service to the body of Christ, the shorter the leash. So we can't ignore, we can't ignore the Lord. We've got to be obedient to God. We've got to reverence him. But we have this tendency to want to go backwards. Oh, it's getting hard, Pastor. I don't, I don't, there's no joy in it anymore. It's just like work to me. You know, I, I'm not feeling it in worship anymore. You know, the word just seems to bounce off me. I, I understand, but that doesn't mean quit and go back to the old thing. That means get on your knees and allow the Lord to circumcise your heart again, amen. Get in the secret place and pray through, amen. Get, get somebody to lay their hands on you and put some oil on you and just pray that God would once again, soften your heart. Amen, pastor, praise God. Verse 26 through 27 is talking about the shaking of all things. And this is an interesting thing here. We're, we've shifted out of the comparison between the old and the new covenant. Now God is 
admonishing his people to hear his voice and to be obedient. Uh, 26 and 27 is interesting that God promises he's going to shake. It says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he promises saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as the things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken would remain. Think about that. God is gonna not only shake everything that can be shaken in the earth. In the last year, would you say that God shook some things? Amen. And this is just a dress rehearsal for what's to come, amen. Uh, you know, when God takes the church out of here and the tribulation begins, I'm telling you, everything is going to shake, the, the moon and the stars and the suns, and it's going to be, you, you know, we studied through the book of Revelation. So God's going to shake everything that can be shaken on earth. Why? So all of that stuff that's not important can be swept away. But listen, he's also going to shake heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, there again, there, there are some things that are going on in heaven. You know, the, the devil has access to heaven. He comes before God and he, he's the accuser of the brethren. You know, if you study in the book of Revelation, there's gonna be war in heaven and God kicks Satan out. The things in the heaven are, heavens are actually gonna be shaken up too. And then in the final analysis, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. People say, well, man, I just wanna go to heaven, heaven. There's gonna be a new heaven. And these things are gonna be remade. So this shaking, nobody likes shaking. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Because then all of a sudden, the things that we relied on, the things that made us comfortable, the creature comforts and the habitual things, they're gone, they're upset. I mean, could you imagine if someone right now while you're in church is in your living room, moving out all your furniture, moving all your stuff around, you know, changing your TV, you get home, your chair is gone. There's one spot on our couches. It's my spot. Everybody wants to sit in it, including the dog. I got to throw the dog out. And, and you know, can you go home and then you're all out of order. Well, God is going to shake things that are not solid and remove them. That speaks of something that's perfect and better. So she, we shouldn't fear the shaking, amen? But he promises that he's going to do it. Now, in verse 28, the kingdom we're going to inherit, the new Jerusalem we talked about, it, it cannot... It cannot be shaken, and it's not in jeopardy. Why? Because it's going to be the new thing that God meant. And that's meant to, the, the new thing that God makes, it's one and done. It's perfect. Why? Because the devil's been dealt with, sin's been dealt with, heaven and earth have been dealt with. You know, when sin entered the equation, it affected everything. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was, it was perfection. When sin entered in, it affected everything. It affected their relationship. It affected their mortality rate. It affected their children. It affected the animals. The lion used to lay down with the lamb. Now, if the lamb lays down next to the lion, he's lunch. But sin has affected everything. When that's reversed and everything's new, it's paradise again. Don't fear the shaking. The shaking is going to shake away all those things that are just uncomfortable to us. That's why when he's done shaking, you know, he's going to wipe away every tear and there's going to be no more sorrow. And all the, all the remnants and the effects and the residue of sin is going to be gone. And that's afforded to us by the new covenant. And that's why Hebrews is trying to tell those, don't hold on to the law because the law is not gonna lead you into the new things. The law and all of the effects of sin are gonna be shaken away. So don't go backwards. This, these verses here are just a powerful reminder for us that you and I have the affinity for 
the past and nostalgia for the past. And we have a tendency to want to go backwards when things get hard. But the word of the Lord for us tonight is that we shouldn't go back and we shouldn't look back, but we should press ahead to the new things that come, the new heaven and the new earth that's being prepared for us. And we can trust Jesus because he's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the broker, the mediator of the new covenant. And it's for us because of the cross. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for these verses. I know there was a lot in here tonight. And I pray, Lord God, that everybody got something from it by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give us that focus that we need to not focus on the things around us and the things that are passing away and, and, and not want to go backwards. But Lord, that the Holy Spirit would encourage us and lead us and order our steps to go forward in you. Amen. Father, I pray for anyone who's faltering or they're, they're, they're thinking about, you know, just giving up or letting go or going back or quitting. Father, I pray that you would wipe all of that out of their heart and that you would refire them once again with a passion to go after the things of the kingdom. Father, I pray that we would not lose one, but that we would gain the lost in this place. I pray that in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Give him praise tonight.